Good morning, everyone. Um, let's pray as we uh, come to look at this passage and at some wider teachings in the scriptures together. So, Father, uh, we thank you that you are a God who reveals yourself to us, reveals who you are and what you've done and how you view us. And we ask that as we um, look at your word this morning, we'll hear you speak to us. And we ask that your word would speak life to us. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. So uh, this morning we're going to start a new series. Uh, as Ronnie was leading us in worship, um, we saw that that series is going to be around the cross, uh, the crucifixion, the death of Jesus. So we're going to spend a few months looking at that from lots of different angles. Because in the scriptures, we, we know the scriptures are this massive book, um, 66 separate books written by different authors at different times um, and so within that there are all these different pictures these different uh, images of the cross of the crucifixion of what the death of jesus means so we want to explore them and um, different ones um, in different talks hopefully by different preachers within the team here in dublin west um, over the next few months and as we look at them, hopefully we'll sort of build together an overall picture of the cross. And we can think of these different images and pictures uh, a little bit like a jigsaw, um, or for those of you who are a bit more highbrow, maybe like a mosaic, um, depending how you, you like to see it. Um, but all the different pieces in a jigsaw are important. They're all needed to build the overall picture. But you only see the overall picture when they're put together. Um, and so it's a little bit like that. We need to look at them all, um, but we need to put them together at the same time. So we hope to do a little bit of that over the next few months. Um, so that's where we're going um, for the next while. And we're gonna start uh, this morning with one picture. We'll probably do this one over two weeks, I think. Uh, one picture or image of the cross. And this one is called Christ as Victor. I think that's Latin language for Christ the Victor. And it talks about the victory of Christ and that the cross achieved this victory for Jesus. So that is where we're going this morning. And so we'll start by sort of getting an overview of the scriptures. Just look in a general way um, as to how this fits into the, the storyline. Um, starting in the book of Genesis and moving onward. Because if we start in the book of Genesis, what we see is that sin and the problem with our world is a power or a force. Yes, it's an offense against God. And yes, it's something that needs to be forgiven. But it's more than that. It's a power and a force. So Genesis 3 is the fall. It's where Adam and Eve sin and go against God. But straight away, we see that one seed sin leads to another. Um, so they, they disobey God. And then um, a few verses later, they're hiding from God in the garden. And then when God speaks to them, they start to blame one another and um, to try and avoid what's gone on. And um, they just keep on moving in this spiral. And um, the next chapter, uh, chapter four, we see in detail how sin becomes this power or force. And um, we have Cain and Abel, the story of the two brothers and god warns Cain. he says this sin is crouching at your door those words sort of haunt me a little and um, when i first sort of 
understood them. That word crouching is the word used, you know, for a, a beast or an animal that's hunting its prey, like you might imagine a, a cheetah or a lion crouching in the savannah looking to pounce. Sin is crouching at your door, is the warning. It desires you. They're the words of God. It's words of sin as a power or a force that comes to inflict itself on us. Now, Cain cannot resist. And by chapter four of the Bible, we have the first murder. Uh, Inter-family murder. And then only two chapters later, in chapter six, um, the scriptures say this, the narrator speaking says that the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. Chapter six of Genesis, only four chapters after the first sin, there's this downward spiral. It gets worse and worse, like a, like a snowball going downhill. It gets a bigger problem, this sense of sin as a power or force. So that is part of the presentation, not all, but part of the view of sin in Scripture. And likewise, if we, we, we go back to the Old Testament, we see the picture of salvation in the Old Testament. We see this picture of salvation as victory, as God taking charge, as God defeating um, the powers that are against him. And um, so there's two great moments uh, in the Old Testament, two, uh, well, there's lots of great moments generally, but I guess the two key salvation moments are the Exodus and then what's talked of as the second Exodus, which a lot of the writings are about predicting that when that is going to come. Because there are two moments when God's people are enslaved by other nations. They are, if you like, under the power of sin. These um, greedy imperialist nations are enslaving and using God's people, Israel, um, for their own purposes. Um, so the first one is Exodus. Exodus is this great picture of salvation in the Old Testament. And it all starts in chapter 2, where they cry out to God. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. Now it says God heard their groaning. It's, it's people who are being sinned against and under the power of sin, um, as seen in Egypt and, and, and Pharaoh, who cry out for help. And so then the Exodus is this defeat of Pharaoh and this escape from slavery. That's the picture we're given. And they come to be God's people, to be able to worship God in the desert. So as they escape, they are reunited um, to God. The victory song that they sing after they escape through the Red Sea in chapter 15 is this. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and the army, he is hurled into the sea. It's a victory song. It's a celebration of victory and escape. And then I talked of the second and great salvation moment. And um, a lot of the prophets speak of this as something to come. And it's going to be the second Exodus. God's people are in exile again. And they are in Babylon um, under the power of another nation. And when God gives the picture, Isaiah 52, that Clementina read for us, is a beautiful description of it. And the picture is the picture of um, the forerunner coming back from battle to tell the rest of the people how the battle has gone and who has won. Verse 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Someone 
is running back. You know, they're on their feet, running back, giving the good news. They proclaim peace. They proclaim good tidings. They proclaim salvation. And what is their message to Zion, to the city? Your God reigns. That's the good news that they bring. Your God reigns. Your God is in charge. Your God has won. He is victorious. Your God reigns. So when we put those two things together, we have this sin as a power or force and salvation as victory. And they fit together. It makes sense. You see, if sin is a power, then it needs to be defeated. Not just forgiven, but defeated. It needs to be beaten. Now, I'm not in any way downplaying the role of forgiveness. We will look at that in weeks to come, future weeks in the series, and we'll see how they all fit together. But sin needs to be beaten. And if the salvation that we long for, when we go all the way to the end of the Bible, to Revelation 21, and we see a new heavens, a new earth come down for us, a, a fully restored and new creation, then sin has to be eradicated, not just forgiven. Sin can't be present anymore. Salvation is this positive picture, not just the removal of a negative. It is victory. I don't know if anyone has seen the film Beautiful Boy. Any thumbs up? Anyone seen it? Oh, come on. We need to work on our thank you, Susan. Uh, Beautiful Boy. It's a few years old. Uh, it's my type of film. It's a, based on a true story and memoirs of a father and son. Um, and it will tug at your heart if you watch it. Um, it's written by David Sheff. He is a New York Times writer. Uh, he wrote his memoirs and the film was based on it. And it's the story of him and his son, his teenage son, who got caught up in drugs. Um, and it's a sort of heart-wrenching, that journey um, that he went through. So the dad finds out and there's some signs that his, his son's not doing well and he finds out about the drug use and, you know, he arranges him to see someone and, and, and get medical advice and he goes into rehab. But from then they start this journey from rehab to a halfway house and things seem to be going all well, all okay at that time. But then he's in rehab again. And then there's an overdose. And then he tries to start again. So he moves to a different city to live with his mom in LA and he enters into a 12 steps program and there's hope again, but then he falls again. Um, there's a scene where they find him stealing from the family home, just anything he can do to get money to feed his house. As it goes on then, there's another awful experience where his partner overdoses and needs to try and bring her to hospital. And it's around that time that He's just on the, on the street in desperation and he rings his dad for help. And this is the conversation that David and his son Nick have. Nick rings his dad. Please don't leave me, dad. I know I did wrong. I want to stop. Please, no rehab. Just let me come home. I realize I need to be home with you guys. You guys are going to give me the strength to stop. But the dad who's been through this so many times, says, that's not going to happen. I wish that I could help you, but I can't. And son continues, please help me, dad. Please help me. I want to come home. And the dad says, talk to your sponsor. 
get help. I love you. And I hope you get your life together. In this moment of sadness and sort of helplessness, the dad hangs up and just sort of weeps in his, his own house, in his own room. And, and that's that. He can't help his son. With the story of, it's just gone on and on in this cycle over a period of years. And he's helped him so many times, brought him to so many people and put him in so many places. He's forgiven him again and again and tried to help, but nothing has worked. And the dad is helpless. And in that moment, can't help him escape his addiction. But the story of the scriptures is not that story. Alongside forgiveness, it has victory. Our God is not this helpless father, but offers victory, which brings change and transformation for us alongside. It is different. We need more than just forgiveness. We need victory so that we can beat sin, however it is, manifests itself in our lives. And so what I want to say is that this victory that we need, that we, we know that we need, this comes through the cross. So we've looked at victory in Exodus and Isaiah um, this morning, and both of those are linked to the cross. So Exodus, that, that great moment that, that brought them out of slavery um, was the Passover. If you remember the Passover, which our, our, our Lord's Supper relates to, and in the New Testament, Jesus is called our Passover lamb. It relates to the cross. Isaiah, what we read of, of victory, Isaiah 52, uh, I got Clementina to read to the end because we move on to the next section, which flows into 53, which is the suffering servant. He was marred beyond likeness. The suffering servant, that, that picture of Jesus on the cross. This victory comes through the cross. It is won on the cross. Um, we, we, we see this in different ways. We can see this looking at the overall story of the scriptures. We can see it just within the gospels. And if we narrow again, we can see it within Easter week. Victory through the cross. It's a little bit like if, if we were able to zoom up, we'd have to zoom pretty high, but if you've got some satellite picture using Google Maps, you can do it now and zoom in and you can see the whole of Ireland on the map. And then you zoom in and you, you see Dublin and then you zoom in again and you see Blanche. Greater Blanche area. Zooming in at these different levels, we'll see the same picture from scripture to the gospels to Easter week, victory through the cross. So I wanna, not gonna have time to bring through all of them, but let me look briefly at the gospels. We see the same overall story, but what we have to do with the gospels is place the cross into the overall story, the, the 16 chapters of Mark or the 24 chapters of Luke. Not just look for one particular verse, but see the overall story and then we see how the cross is bringing victory. If you do want that one uh, overall verse, let me go to 1 John and um, just to give it to you. 1 John 3, 8 says this, the reason the son of God appeared, it's talking about Jesus entering into this world in the gospels. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So when we see the story of the gospels, what we see from the start is this clash of kingdoms. We see the power of evil. We see Satan, we see demons, and Jesus interacting and, and, and fighting with them. It's this clash of kingdoms. In the temptations of the start of Jesus' ministry, it's Jesus himself having his personal battle with Satan. 
and then he enters into his ministry of of healing and teaching and the third part of that is exorcism it's the third sort of key part of his ministry he is fighting and casting out demons because people know satan knows that this is coming even in his teaching the parable of the sower talks about how satan tries to take away the word satan is fighting even there against his teaching but it's not even just those sort of upfront moments where we see Satan or demons. It's, it's throughout. It's the other human actors. There's this constant battle in Jesus' ministry right from the start, actually, in his life. Herod, um, a near genocide at his birth, trying to eliminate Jesus then. We see evil present in political powers. The evil of, of inaction in Pilate and his trial. And we see um, the religious, this constant battle from early in his ministry and uh, where the Pharisees want to kill him. Surely evil is present there. So there is this evil present. That's the backdrop to Jesus' life and ministry. And, and it shouldn't surprise us. You know, we, we, we see evil um, still today in our world. We know that it's there and we know that it has to be beaten. And we've just prayed, uh, both Lynn and Rory mentioned and prayed for Afghanistan. And we've prayed different weeks for it. So news reports just yesterday that, that four people um, were killed and had their bodies hanging, left on public display in the city of Herat as a warning. And the Taliban have said that future punishments are going to include executions and amputations. We know what's in our worlds. The Late Late Show this weekend, just two nights ago on Friday, had a survivor of sexual abuse um, committed by her father. Horrific story. Surely we call that evil. But it's also even just the small daily interactions where, where some part of evil just interacts with their own tendency to sin and we see bullying and people refusing to stand up to things and weakness. All of that we see day to day. And so this backdrop of evil in the Gospels, we see Jesus come and his message is victory. He takes Isaiah 52, your God reigns, and his message as he starts his ministry, Mark chapter 1, Matthew chapter 4, is that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. That's his good news. That's his gospel. God is becoming king. God is taking charge. God is redeeming his world. God is going to win. It's victory. It's takeover. The identity of Jesus, the name for Jesus as Messiah is the word used for king, the anointed one. Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the king. His title, son of man, is about authority and power. The message is that God wins. But it comes through the cross. So Jesus starts the gospels with the announcement that the kingdom is coming. He teaches what the kingdom is like. Um, all the parables. He enacts the kingdom by, by welcoming people in and eating with sinners and all sorts of people. He enacts it by healing and exorcisms and casting out demons. But we see him becoming king fully on the cross. It's, it's there in the narrative and the stories of how it goes on. Um, taking Mark's gospel, when it comes to his trial and his execution, the charge of his trial from the high priests are you the Messiah? From Pilate, are you the king of the Jews? 
Are you king? Is the question. And then after he is tried and committed, the soldiers come and, and they mock him. But it's about his royalty again. They put a purple robe on him. And then they twist together a crown of thorns. He does receive his crown, just not in the way that we expected. And then this awful haunting verse, which sort of felt uh, like I read it new this week. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. The sign above the cross, the king of the Jews. The ironic chance, if you are king, then save yourself and come down. It's on the cross that he becomes king. It's on the cross that he wins victory. This is one key picture of what the cross achieves. And then in the resurrection, we see it fully. We see that he has won, that he has beaten death, beaten sin and beaten evil, and opened up the door for new life. So the cross wins victory for us. Christ the victor. So what does this mean for you and me? I just want to finish by reading some words from Romans. Uh, this is Paul writing to an early church in Rome, chapter 6. So much of this letter then, then takes on this picture of victory. Um, chapter 6, verses 5 to 7. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. We are united with him in his resurrection. We, we, we get to be united to this victory. We get to participate in it. We get to act it out, this victory that Jesus has already won. It is freedom set free from sin. It means we can change, we can be transformed. I know that that's a, a deep desire in many of our lives, uh, enduring patterns of character flaws and character traits that we can't seem to escape. Um, relationships that get bogged down as our character flaws interact with someone else's and we, we can't seem to escape. Jesus offers victory. And that means change, freedom for us as we work it out. We're going to keep looking at this. Maybe next week we might look at how it interacts with forgiveness. And we'll look at evil is still present. So, so where is this victory? We'll answer some of those questions um, next week. But I want us to know that Jesus has won. He is king on the cross. So let's be still. Let's pray.